when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Downstairs History. I am standing in a kitchen next to food historian legend Annie Gray. Hello. And today, because it's Christmas, we are cooking the most amazing midwinter fare, wassail, which is a beautiful alcoholic punch and proper mince pies. Annie's going to take us through those dishes, tell us how to make them, tell us all about Christmas's past and how we ended up with the Christmas we have today. Enjoy. Annie Gray, great to have you back on the show. Great to be back. Is Christmas one of those things that feels eternal, but like most other traditions, just basically made up by the Victorians? Uh, yes and no. I would say most of the modern Christmas certainly was made up by the Victorians, with a kind of sprinkling of 1950s as well. The idea of Christmas goes back a lot further. So we look out the window here today and it's absolutely beautiful. It's a glorious, sunshiny day. It's freezing though. But the most normal thing in the British winter is pretty manky, pretty rainy, pretty miserable. Uh, if you're back in the medieval period or before then and you're a rural farmer, it's got the additional glory of mud. Most of your cattle has been slaughtered. You can't go out in the field. It's boring. You're poor. It's hideous. So, of course, the best thing to do is to light a huge fire, get really drunk and eat what you can do and try and forget about your woes. And that is something that you see universally throughout northern climes. Hideous, foul winter. Look, it's really short days. Let's get drunk and light a big fire and forget about everything. And then when the Christian church comes along and starts to adopt a lot of those early pagan druid, call it what you will, festivals, they go, great, Christmas, OK, fine, let's stick it there. It's fine. We want a big celebration. So all these things come together and you end up with something, call it what you will, for a lot of cultures in the middle of winter, which is an excuse to get drunk and eat lots of food. So from a point of view of getting drunk, eating lots of food, and that idea of cosiness and something Coming to together. look forward to yeah. goes back a long way. From the point of view of turkey, Christmas trees, buying loads of presents for people, decorating things and being really stressed out, that's mainly Victorian. And as I learned on the podcast the other day, many of the things that we associate with Christmas foods all actually from the Americas, things like turkey and potatoes. So it must have been post-Christopher Columbus anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, the idea of lots of food, that's the kind of pre-Columbian Christmas, if you like. But I mean, even say things like turkey, potatoes, not really associated 
really hard with Christmas until quite late on anyway. I mean, turkey comes in in 1520s, 1530s. We start to see breeding pairs come in. We start to see farms for turkeys in France in the 1530s. They're mentioned in sumptuary laws later on. So turkey was there. Turkey was associated with Christmas, but it was associated with Christmas because it was big, impressive and in season in the winter. It wasn't just Christmas. It was a, a festive, a winter seasonal dish. It wasn't the thing you ate on Christmas Day universally really until the 1960s. And I think today as well, we tend to forget that birds like that poultry are seasonal. So goose, capon, even chicken and turkey as well, and swan, which was another not popular feast bird, but certainly a feast bird that was present. I am not a big fan of swan. Have you tried swan? I had it in a pie once, but there was a little did swan you, in the pie. Did you have to get the Queen's permission to do that? Uh, no. <laughs> Apparently swans crash land on roads, thinking they're rivers sometimes, and as long as you take them along to vet and the RSPB are, is able to check the tag on the leg, sometimes some people are then able to take them home. And what are the 12 days of Christmas? And are they important food-wise? They were very important for the medieval period and for those that were wealthy enough to afford to eat well throughout the whole period. So your traditional 12 days running from the 25th or the evening of the 24th, depending on who you speak to, through to the Epiphany, so the 5th or the 6th, depending on who you speak to. Generally in the UK, it's the 6th. And that was the period of Christmas. So the idea was that Advent was a period of fast. This is the point where we were obviously Catholic still, pre-Reformation. So as with all fasting, if you were poor, you'd be eating stockfish, which you would repeatedly hit with a hammer for days and days and days and soak and then hate it. And it would be maggoty and awful and you'd force yourself to eat it because you're not allowed to eat anything that comes from an animal. And if you're wealthy, you're going to feast on porpoise and seal and beaver's tails because they're seafood apparently, uh, puffin, things like that. And you're not really going to suffer any shortages. You're going to be absolutely fine. And then once you get to Christmas itself, the fasting period is over. Way meat feast. So you've got 12 days of feasting. And that was the idea that you'd had your fast. Now you feasted. And once you got to the sixth, you went back to your normal rhythm where about half the year really were fish days and the other half were meat days. So gargantuan amounts of feasting if you were wealthy enough to afford it. Right. What do you want me to do first, boss? Well, I think we should start with the drink. It oh, the drink, yeah, Christmas, okay. So we're going to make some wassail. What's that? Well, it's a lot of things to a lot of different people, mm -hmm. including the good folks of Walthamstow, who I'm told go around today in a modern fashion with plastic bowls asking for booze. Really? Uh, mm, yes, and to some people it is about fertility and orchards, and to other people it's about mulling beer, and whoever you ask will come up with a different definition, but they'll all agree it's very old. Okay, so mm. some people it's just get a big bowl and people just pour whatever they have got in it. Yeah, I mean, wassail is one of those things that comes from the medieval era where it was, well, even before that actually, there was an Anglo-Saxon drink and drink response. So you would shout, drink ale! And everyone would go, wassail! And lots and lots oh, of yes. uh, reenactors today love doing that with their big tankards. Well, how do you want me to start? What do I do? We're going to cook a 19th century recipe because there aren't very many recipes for wassail. And this one is from the 1890s. We're starting with some apples. So oh, I think we'll do half here. the recipe. So if you can just core <sighs> without breaking the skin. Do we have a special corer or am I just using a knife? Uh, you're going to use a knife. Okay. I would have got you a piece of reindeer bone so that you could go oh. straight through, but I didn't have it. A lot of wassail recipes in heavily inverted commas involve brandy, port, beer, Anything whatever Anything that comes to hand. And a lot of the modern ones anyway are hot and this one is a, a hot wassail. And they may have been hot in the past, they may have involved beer, they may have involved cider, they Sounds may have involved... Anything. Sounds quite loose to me. Yeah, it's really just a thing people drink 
in the autumn and in the winter. So it's sort of lots of different oh, things. There this we is go. History in action right history now. History in action. This is yeah. it. Okay, what yeah. do you want me to do? I've called that. Uh, so we're going to put that on this nice foil sheet here. The main thing is just that there's no pips and things that you don't want to eat in there. Okay. How many are we doing? No, we're going to do three. Okay, here we go. I mean, obviously, was ales are a celebratory thing, so ideally we should probably do about 10 and make it to feed 30 people, but... Uh, the whole of team history we here. We'll just have it ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Okay, here we go. So... Um, okay, I've made a bit of a balls up at this Yeah, one. well, it's all going to end up being cooked anyway, so let's not worry too much about it. It's true, no one can yeah, see just, just it. Just oh, by the way, everyone listening to this, it's absolutely brilliant what <laughs> I'm doing. That was a pip. If you go to Somerset today, you'll find that Wazelle is built oh, as... just broken the wooden spoon. <laughs> I was given that wooden spoon by my team at History Hit for having the worst performing social media post in the whole of the year. <laughs> well, I suppose now you've got the worst performing wooden spoon yeah, uh, ever. It. There you go. Right. Excellent. Beautifully poured. Right, we're going to put a little bit of butter into the middle of each of these. Why not? We, I've got an oven that's pre-215, is that right? Baking tray. Yeah, hang on, there's some sugar here. Sugar, there's some sugar here. Or brown, we've got brown or white. Brown is fine, brown's okay. probably slightly better flavour. Let's put a bit of sugar into each God, of these. not messing about. We haven't even had the alcohol yet. Jeepers creepers. Right, stick those in the oven and we'll roast them until they go all soft and squidgy and nobody will Okay. <laughs> or you could drop them. I'll just drop them in the oven. oven. Yeah, obviously. Um, your oven was really clean till I arrived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there we go. Right, what are we plunging into next? Next, we're going to make the alcoholic liquid that we will eventually pour onto right. our apples. Okay. Uh, which in this case, very, very late Victorian. You know, the wine of choice for your late Victorian dude would be a nice German hock. Really? Yeah, all this French wine. It's, it's all it's, new. It's good. We quite like it, but really what we want is a German hock. The kind of, well, it's basically Blue Nun. Um, <laughs> and, and you can use Blue Nun for this recipe if you can still get it. Okay. Um, so we've got a bottle of hock here. Okay. And oh, we're going to put that in our pan. So I've never heard of hock. It's a soft and fruity Deutsche Landwein, Rhein. So it's on the... River Rhine, I see. Yeah, it's not dissimilar to a Riesling or yeah. um, a sort of Silvana, those kind of things that we would that go, oh, Alsatian wine, we like those. Hock is just a little bit further along. Queen Victoria had a vineyard in the area named after her. Really? So it's really, really popular as a wine for the Victorians. And it still is slightly less alcoholic than some wines as well because it's northern. So, um, yeah, that one's 9%. So it's not going to so kill that, us. So where do you want this? I would like that in that pan, please, along with 150 milliliters of water. Uh, all the whole thing? Yeah. We then want cloves, ginger, mace, cinnamon, and cardamom, so lots of spice. Okay, cloves, cinnamon. Yeah, about half what's there, some of that. Very scientific, you're <laughs> just throwing it all in. You know, the Victorians I'm... did measure things quite a lot, but of course, if you knew what you were doing, I guess the spirit of Orsale is it's quite loose and it's quite relaxed. As I say, there really aren't any written recipes before about the 18th century. Okay. And even when they are written down, it... They vary. Yeah, and spices vary. Some people's spices are really, really strong. Some people's spices have sent six months on a ship getting across yeah, from the true. Indies. Um, I always think just use a bit more if you're not sure. That will do. Okay, that looks really disgusting. Uh, it's yeah. a sort of Hang on, I'm light brown. Now it's got various flights. 
bits of spice floating in it. Lots of particles. Oh, there's a kind of scum forming on top of it. Yeah, it's good. Looks it's great. Christmas. Yeah. By the time you've drunk it, you won't Ooh. care anymore. So chuck that on the heat. There we go. Right, I'm just going to add a bit more sugar. Not all of this. A bit more sugar? <laughs> Not going to add it all. That is like a basin of sugar. My sugar goodness. had really come down in price by the 1890s and you could get Ooh. beet sugar and the tax was gone. Yeah, this is all about joy and being hyperactive. Wow. Brush your teeth, kids. So what we're going to do now, once this gets to boiling point, is we're effectively going to make a custard. Uh, a lot of sauces in the past were thickened with egg yolks. That makes them very velvety and very lovely. And, you know, I mean, corn flour is easier, but egg yolks are, I think, a nicer texture. If I give this... And do you want me to heat that up? Whisk. Not yet. Okay. No, because otherwise we'll get scrambled eggs. A good point. So the kind of brownie liquid is, is going a little bit thicker and a little more yellow when you add it to the egg yolk. Yeah, so what we're going to end up with is a pale fawn liquid. I'm going to add a bit of heat to this in a minute and just thicken it up slightly. And then once that is a nice thin custard, we're going to remove our apples from the oven, put them in Ooh. the bottom of a big bowl, and then this gets poured on top. And the idea is that everybody who's drinking your wassail gets an apple and some of your thin alcoholic custard, which means that you're getting protein from the egg and you're getting spices, which are obviously very good for you, alcohol to kill off anything that's nasty and make you feel fuzzy and delightful, and the apple, which is obviously one of your five a day. So this is essentially Victorian health food. <laughs> right, let's have the apples. Whoa. Hot in this area, isn't it? Yeah. Ooh, come on, come on! Begin to regret this Christmas jumper. That's hot. Yikes! There goes the good stuff. The liquid flowing down, submerging the apples. Here we go. So apples are now floating. Think of the most wonderful Dickensian scene you can imagine. Apples floating in a great dish with lovely warm liquid giving off an aroma. So I think we need some of this each. Oh, thank you. So there's some squidgy apple and some liquid spiced oh. eggy hock. The smell's gone from student throw everything that's in the house into a plastic tub booze to like really quite sophisticated smell. Yeah. I, I, I never doubted you, obviously. Uh -huh. What do we shout when we drink this? Drink ale! Drink ale! ale. Cheers! Ah, oh, it's Christmas in a cup. Feel ready to go. D tell me that drinking this for breakfast, Christmas oh, Day, I'll tell you what. basically a boiled egg, isn't it? As you say, very wholesome. This is Dan Snow's History Hit. More after this. Why were medieval priests so worried that women were going to seduce men with fish that they'd kept in their pants? Who was the first gay activist? And what on earth does the expression sneezing in the cabbage mean? I'll tell you, it's not a cookery technique, that's for sure. Join me, Kate Lister, on Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, a podcast where we will be bed-hopping throughout time and civilization to bring you the quirkiest and kinkiest stories from history. As promised, there will be... Sex. Anne has said that Henry is not skillful in copulating with a woman <gasps> and has neither vigour nor potency. And scandal. Everybody just descends onto this crime scene. 
and it's being pulled apart by members of the public sort of as quickly as they can excavate the bodies. And moments which shaped society. Pointy boobs then became a thing and were still a thing into the 1950s. What more could you possibly want? Listen to Betwixt the Sheets today, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. A podcast by History Hit. Hi, I'm Matt Lewis, historian and host of a new chapter of the Echoes of History podcast. If you're an Assassin's Creed fan, and like me, want to be prepared for the launch of Assassin's Creed Shadows later this year, join us on Echoes of History as we head to feudal Japan to explore the real-life history that inspired the latest game from this legendary franchise. Learn about Yasuke, the African warrior who entered the trusted circle of Japan's most powerful warlord. Hear accounts of cultures colliding when Portuguese missionaries landed on Japanese shores, and follow Japan's journey through years of division and bitter warfare to unification at the dawn of the modern era. Make sure you catch every episode by following Echoes of History, a Ubisoft podcast brought to you by History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Right, what are we going to eat with our delicious wassail? Well, I think we've got to go for mince pies, haven't we? The ultimate, the ultimate Christmas Eve snack. most venerable foods of Christmas. Yeah. Uh, yes, it does go back a long way. So mince meat, mince pies, Christmas pies, as they were often known, although Christmas pies also meant something else. Late medieval, Tudor, etc. Was there meat in a mince pie? Yes. All right. And we're starting with it. Oh, so we're actually going to do... Okay. We are Ooh. making Eliza Acton's mince meat, which is from 1845. Okay. And we are going to start with the most British of meats, which is, of course, roast Beef. Beef. And we want about half a pound, so 225 grams in new money, which is probably about half of that, which you are going to mince up, please. Okay, stand by. So the original minced meats were indeed minced meat and other things. If you look at Tudor recipes, you've got about a third meat in there and then a third suet and the other third is dried fruit. I obviously know this, but there might be people listening or watching who don't know what suet is. Suet is the hard fat that sits around the kidneys of a mammal. You have suet, I have suet, and cows have a lot of suet. So it's usually cow suet. And what happens is you chop that fat up. And because it's a hard fat, 
it behaves in really interesting ways and one of the things it does is it gives a really lovely mouthfeel, very velvety feel to things when you eat them. Another thing is it makes very light pastry and another thing is that it melts very pleasingly so it gives mincemeat that kind of beautiful texture that you associate, I suppose, with mincemeat. Who discovered that? Okay, so just mincing is like what, cubing yeah. it? Like very, very fine dice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we're going to chop that up nice and small. A lot of the early mince pies used beef, some used mutton. There are versions with fish and so, eggs for fast days. So they were well. savoury? It was a savoury dish? It was a mixture. The demarcation that we've got today between sweet and savoury wasn't one that was used so much in the past because sugar was so expensive, certainly in the Tudor period, that it was used almost as a spice. So, of course, in the 17th century, Britain started to colonise the West Indies, brought in slave labour. That whole awful part of our history starts and sugar started to become a bit cheaper. But at this point, so Tudor medieval mincemeats, very much sugar being used as a spice. And what you see throughout the next two or three hundred years is the meat quantity slowly dwindles. So by the time you get to the 19th century, which is the mincemeat we're making, you've got very little meat left in them, just enough to give it a bit of a back note. And then by the 20th century, most mincemeats are meat-free, but not vegetarian because they still have seriotin. And while we're cooking this, no conversation about Christmas and the history of Christmas is complete without asking about what is the reality of Oliver Cromwell, oh. the Puritans during the Republic. Did they ban Christmas? No. They didn't ban Christmas, they did legislate against what they saw as its excesses. So there is no legislation to ban mince pies, not least because mince pies were not actually associated with Christmas as so much the whole festive season. Uh, what happened was that the Puritans and especially the Scottish Presbyterians felt that Christmas was a really bad thing. They did have a point. Christmas had become associated with rioting, with football, with the working classes getting really drunk, having sex with loads of different people. I mean, just Christmas had become- Sounds rubbish. Yeah, yeah, terrible. Very commercialized as well. Too many orange sellers profiteering off the back of the demand for oranges. They felt that it was both pagan in that really it would just been adopted by the Christian church and had never really changed, but at the same time, papist. So all the bad things at once, and let's not kind of examine that too much, but they felt it was generally bad. So the trouble is it was liked a lot by the English, liked wow. a lot as a celebration, liked a lot as a thing to get through winter, and the Scottish didn't really celebrate it, and the Presbyterians in Scotland, the Calvinists in Scotland in particular, really wanted to ban it. But Crook's point came in 1644 when Christmas fell on a day that was supposed to be not any form of religious day, it was a normal day, so unfortunately the English Parliament was forced to join the Scottish Parliament in banning Christmas Day as a celebration. I mean, it became a real touch point and loads of pamphlets were published for and against Christmas. And it was a really, really big cause for concern. And it was almost as if all of the arguments over what was religion, what was the Puritan state, what was the state of being, what was a moral person, all of those kind of coalesced. So there's a lot of stuff written about Christmas and Christmas became a focus beyond in some ways what it really was. Culture um, wars. Yeah, well, exactly, Nothing you know, Christmas new. was cancelled. So no, there were incidences of some people being beaten up by soldiers. There were diarists, Don Evelyn was one who tried to celebrate Christmas and ended up in the cells or being, it's all very, yes there was, yes there wasn't, but either way, we restored it in 1660 and then everyone forgot about it for a hundred years and all the bon ton went, oh, I don't think I like it after all. Contrary as ever. Right, so that's your meaty base. That is your meat in your mince meat and it is minced, so it is minced meat. So I've minced that meat, I'm very pleased with myself. minced it well. Uh, and now we want to put in some currants and some raisins. Okay, a handful. So, uh, the lot. 
All of it? Well, we want about a pound. Whoa. That's probably not with us. Whoa. Yeah, get our raisins. Then we want some uh, peel, candied peel. So we're going to use the candied peel that's there. Okay. There's no point in making mincemeat just for a few people, is there? So I'm going to just grate the zest of these two lemons as well to go in. I mean, this is just one among many dishes on the table that would have screamed wealth. So you've got all that roast meat, you've got your turkey, your swan, your peacock, whatever else is going on. You've got a whole tradition as well around pork cookery, brawn, which in the early part of history was kind of half a pig, like literally a Ooh. vertical slice down the pig that had been rolled and boiled. And then, of course, the boar's head, which we sing about in the boar's head carol which was also difficult. A boar's Part head being a pig's head. Well, boar's head was a boar's head until we ate all the boars. And then once we'd driven the boars to extinction, if you were really wealthy or Queen Victoria, who also was very wealthy, you could get a boar brought in from Germany. Germany. But if you weren't wealthy enough to get hold of a boar, you would do it with a pig's head, which you would make look like a boar. And you would tart it up. I mean, it's a sort of two week cook, this thing. And there are recipes in Victorian cookery books for how you get your pig's head. You have to get it cut back at the second vertebrae. You then bone it. You brine it in red wine for two weeks, turning the skin every day. You sew the skin shut. You stuff it. You put, I mean, it's amazing, these things. You then uh, swaddle it. You boil it for seven hours in more red wine. You take it out. It looks, having made it, awful at that point. And then you pipe it with lard or you put pastry across its forehead or you put your family crown on it, you perk its ears up. I mean, it looks incredible when you finished it, but it is so much work and it feeds a lot of people. Normally, at least by the Edwardian period, you would get a caterer to do it. And there were rumours that people would kind of cheat and use soot to colour it and things like that. So it's one of those things where you have to have a reputable boar's head supplier, really. Typical Queen Victoria importing a German boar <laughs> and boning it. <laughs> I'm literally on fire at the moment. <laughs> I think the boar's head was a bit tastier than Albert, though, don't Ooh. you? <laughs> okay, what's, what's next? You Lemon, bet. so including skin? Everything. So these have been boiled. One of the really, really lovely things in Ooh. the past that we just don't do a lot now is boiling entire lemons, mushing them up, making them into stuff. Where yep. do you go for all your recipes? Do you go to like posh houses, archives of posh houses, or? Where are they all kept? They're not often in the archives of posh houses because a lot of the houses, when the families gave their documents to archives, they took out all the stuff they thought wasn't interesting. Oh. So they've kept in all the things about Lord so-and-so buying furniture and all his hunt books and left out all the stuff about where they bought milk from. So it's a mixture, really. Lots of manuscript books. There's a lot online. The Welcome Collection has got some really, really good stuff online. And then we're going to add in a little bit of salt and some nutmeg and some ginger... Okay. All of which is in there, so let's put in Ready? some of that. Okay, folks listening at home, I've just put a huge amount of sugar in here. I've got to be honest. You can no longer see the ingredients. There's so much sugar covering them. More? Yeah. Okay. And stop. See how exact that was? Very exact. Uh, and then we're going to put in some sherry. Sherry. And then some brandy. The go get the brandy gang in there. Napoleon cognac. Right, you can use any booze for this actually. You can use, I've done it with port, I've done it with ginger wine, I've done it with all sorts of things. So then, if you give that a good old mix. Mix with my broken spoon, am I? Oh my gosh. See, when you mix it, you realise it's not that much sugar compared no, to the rest of the all, ingredients. No, not at all. Doesn't that look so much nicer than a modern mincemeat? There's no brown I, goo coming off it. I agree. I agree. This does look really delicious. The extraordinary mixture of meat, currants, 
sultanas, raisins, and suet. apples. Oh, is the suet coming in? Yeah. Okay, what's next? Next, we're going to put them into pastry cases. Let's do it. And I thought instead of doing big ones like the Tudors or little raised pies, which would be a lot of work, we would go full on Victorian and use puff pastry. So in the miracle Ooh, that is the modern world. It comes pre-wrapped. It does provide it. Uh, what I would flattened. say is if you're buying it, always, always buy the stuff that's all butter. Otherwise it tastes horrible. I'll cut the pastry out. Go for it. We've got... Pastry my grandma. We made cookies every Christmas. A mug which should be big enough to do the sides and then the glass should be big enough to do the lids. Okay, ready? So what is it? What's going on with the Victorians? Why is it we seem to think so Christmas goes into overdrive at that time? There are lots of different factors really, but what you see is around the 1840s, there's a real feeling of the idea that Christmas has kind of lost the plot. It's been dwindling. The Georgians weren't particularly into Christmas, or at least the fashionable society wasn't particularly into Christmas. They thought it was a bit of a dreary thing to kind of have to visit people and it's winter and fine with the meals and the feasting and all that stuff, but the rest of it, ugh bit sort of plebeian and excuse to get drunk and it started dwindling so you see the number of bank holidays in the year dwindle you see the 12 days dwindle down obviously it's the industrial revolution or the first phase of it so there's not so many people needing to sort of sit on their ass all of the whole of December because oh, yeah, now you're work. working in factories and yeah. obviously also agrarian husbandry has moved on so you can now keep your cattle a lot more throughout winter and things like that so there's this feeling in the 1840s that Christmas has lost its way and that we're going to lose it it's going to go the way of all things. And lots and lots of people at that point are saying this is not right. Christmas should be about hospitality. There's a real sense of nostalgia. You know, today we're all about, oh, the Victorians. That's when Christmas was great. And the Victorians thought it was great in the Tudor period. So they decided that actually it should be put back to what they thought of as Christmas, which was about hospitality and charity. And you didn't want to like bring poor people into your house because they might steal something. But you did want to give to charity and that kind of thing. And I suppose today we think of Charles Dickens and Prince Albert as having single-handedly invented Christmas because those are the iconic figures that are always talked about. But it's not true. Dickens was one of many writers who talked about it. He was just one of the most popular. And Albert gets all of the glory for inventing the Christmas tree, which was a German tradition that was present in this country already in the shape of German bakeries, Queen Charlotte, who had a yew tree in the 1780s at Kew, you know. Let's not give any more credit to Albert than he needs and definitely give any more credit to Dickens than he deserves, which is less than he probably should get. But I'm not a fond of Dickens. Are you so. not? I find Dickens' women disturbingly awful and Dickens yeah. himself disturbingly awful, to be fair. So you're, you're loading the mince into the pies. I am. Should I, I put a lid on? Yeah, I've got a habit, terrible habit of overstuffing my mince pies, by the way. So just place the lid like that? Yeah, give it, I'll give it a bit of a There sip. you go. Now, is this is... Um, all classes, because you mentioned that there's different things for different classes in terms of what's going in the mince pies. This is quite a This is a kind of middle-class recipe, middle class. really. I mean, there's, okay. there's a lot of booze, a lot of spice, a lot of meat in this, and it's quite nice meat. And Eliza Acton's very much aiming at a middle-class audience. She was really, I suppose, in some ways, the quote-unquote real Mrs. Beaton. As in, everybody always thinks Mrs. Beaton was this iconic... Victorian cook who wrote about what to do for the middle-class housewife, but most of Beaton's recipes were plagiarised from Eliza Acton. 
and Eliza Atkins are really good recipes. So this is solidly kind of middle class gentry level. If you're working class, you would probably buy your mince pies because you wouldn't have an oven. The but the aristocratic the tables, I always think, have got a lot to love. I mean, obviously they have because they're incredibly wealthy. But you would get soup and fish and loads of different meats and loads of different vegetable dishes and a huge amount of choice. And one of the things that's really interesting about Christmas's past is how varied the meals were. Bearing in mind that now we are effectively told that we should all be eating turkey and Brussels sprouts and pigs in blankets, which are really quite modern. And there's not a lot of variety. I mean, there is variety, but it's, it's not what we're shown in the media. You look at recipes, you look at menus, even in the 1930s, and they're suggesting beef and Yorkshire pudding or a chicken or whatever else it is. So I always think, stop being told what to eat. If we really liked turkey, wouldn't we eat it on more than just the 25th of December? Let's pop those in the oven. Right, let's go. This is the big moment. Whoops. Here we go. Give it 10 minutes, 15 minutes. 10 minutes. Yeah, drink some more wassail and relax. Wassail! Okay, 15 minutes is up. Smells ready to me. We're gonna look in go there. Oh my goodness me. Folks, these look like little Mince by volovols. That is amazing. Sorry, cook something. Right, we're going to try a pie. Watch out, they will be really hot. I can't resist that. I can't stop myself. And I'm just giving you the warning okay, so that when you burn your mouth, yeah. I'm not responsible. Oh, it's really hot. <laughs> it's really hot. Oh. That's the most delicious thing I've ever eaten in my life. It's not, the texture's great, isn't it? Mm. Meaty mince meat has got depth of flavour, texture, complexity. It's just, it's a different ball game. Mm. You know, it's like instant coffee versus, you know, real coffee. It, there's a space in most people's lives for instant coffee, but when you have the real thing, yeah. Annie, you have changed my Christmas from this day forward. Like, you're like the ghosts of Christmas, past, present, and future. You've reintroduced me to a sale to these proper mince pies. What would you bring back from Christmas's past? Food-wise, I would bring back 12th cake instead of Christmas cake because Christmas cake isn't something that a lot of people know when to eat. They like it, but they're not sure what to do with it. Whereas if you have it on 12th night, it's a clearly defined moment to eat it. You can look forward to it and it brings Christmas to a really lovely close. So Christmas doesn't peter out with a whimper, but goes out with a proper bang. So you would have the 12 days of Christmas reinstated? I well. would have the 12 days of Christmas reinstated and I'd ban going into their shops before about the 20th. All this Christmas trees going up on December the 1st, Larky. What is this? The needles yeah. drop by about the 13. I'd also bring back a range of flavours and stop us being so obsessed with one set of dishes on Christmas Day. Eat mince pies throughout the whole season and have 15 different types of mincemeat and drink wassail and you know have loads of different types of food on the table. And I think Christmas should be what we want it to be and not what we're told it should be. Get rid of the shoulds, have only what we want. Thank you for coming on the show. What is your book called so That's everyone can live this out in their own kitchen? <laughs> it's called At Christmas We Feast. And you're great. At Christmas We Feast. And we will, thanks to you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just one pound a month when you use code Dan Snow at checkout.